Yeah, no, I I uh, I totally grew up with MTV. I was right there when the first video came out, like Video Killed Radio Star. I recorded it with my little Fisher Price recorder. Do you remember when MTV started? Like they didn't have that many videos, so their playlist was maybe twenty songs. It was like the same stuff over and over again. Whose clothing I, I think really informed my my personal style in the in the early eighties. Well, I mean Michael Jackson, the parachute pants, and and then later, uh, you know, there were the the metal bands with their amazing tights. I just remember constantly being kind of uncomfortable in most of the clothes that I wore in the 80s. But I mean, who cares? They were really cool looking. You're listening to my producer and I brainstorming an episode, this episode, as a matter of fact. And what started as a meandering conversation about MTV and 80s fashion quickly focused with laser-like precision on spandex. Up till now, we've looked at wool and sheep and hemp and sheep and wool, And we've generally focused on the fuzzy, slubby, natural stuff. But even the best diet has to succumb to a bag of Cheetos now and then. On today's episode of Fiber Nation, we're pulling back the curtain on the stretchy, crotch-hugging antics of spandex. Because admit it or not, spandex, or lycra, is the fabric of our lives. Okay, so what is spandex? Well, the first big surprise of this episode is that spandex is not actually a fabric. It's more like a fabric ingredient. Basically a fiber that's woven or knit into a fabric. It's it's like a big, elastic, rubber, stretchy fiber. That's Meg Healy. She's a sewing instructor and designer and also a colleague. She's part of our sister podcast, Sew and Tell. So when my producer, Daisha and I had questions about spandex, we started with her. The second surprise of this episode is that to understand how spandex came about, we need to talk about Nazis. During World War II, rubber was reserved for tires and shoes and other things the troops needed. So chemists, allies and Axis both, were trying to find substitutes for it. Most of these substitutes were some sort of polymer. That's essentially long chains of molecular stuff. Hemp and silk and rubber are natural polymers. Neoprene and nylon and polypropylene are synthetic. The German chemical company IG Farben won the rubber race when three chemists there developed a polymer called polyurethane in 1937. The chemist went on to win the Nobel Prize. The company went on to provide tons of materials for the German war effort, including some really ugly stuff I want to acknowledge but doesn't belong in this episode. And polyurethane went on to become, well, a whole lot of things. The thing about polymers is they're flexible. They stretch and they boing. They can make everything from foam and cushions to coatings and paints to adhesives, fabrics, and all kinds of elastics. Now, the U.S. was well behind their German counterparts. But in 1946, a textile chemist, and let's think about those two words for a sec, textile chemist. Anyways, this guy named Joseph Shivers finally synthesized a rubber replacement with one small issue. While it stretched beautifully, it had no elasticity whatsoever, so it never bounced back. 
One of the big uses of rubber at this time, and where they were looking for a replacement, was in women's girdles. And I want you to think about this. You squeeze into your Playtex girdle, ready for the day ahead. You bend over, sit down, have that cup of coffee. Then you stand up. If a foundation garment stretches but doesn't spring back, you're going to look like you have goiters all over your torso after 20 minutes in the thing. DuPont, Shiver's employer, quietly shelved the project, but Shiver's kept tinkering on his own. In 1958, he unveiled Fiber K. Presumably, Fiber A through J had been duds. This new material expanded up to five times its width and contracted back to its original dimensions. In fact, spandex, the original name for it, is just an anagram of expands. This new fabric was softer than rubber, smoother than nylon, and it stood up to sweaty activity and multiple washings. DuPont later trademarked the name Lycra. As for Shivers, he also helped develop Orlon and Dacron, which kind of sound like brothers in a bad sitcom, but are actually fabrics. Shivers was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2018, four years after his death. So Lycra, or spandex, was first used in underwear. And again, I want you to take a sec and think about a typical June Cleaver or Betty Draper in 1958 and what she would have been wearing. You've got the full crinoline skirt with that little waist, you have stockings attached to a garter belt or rubber girdle, and you have a bullet bra. The girdle would have been solid rubber, but the rest? They didn't have the stretch we're used to today. Yeah, so they would be obviously looser fitting. They would still have knit fabrics, you know, like a like a tree coat or anything made uh, like a knit fabric out of, you know, cotton, nylon or rayon, but they would just be kind of loose, especially with the structured underneath because they don't have the stretch. So they would need things like boning and darts and extra stability. So those bullet bras were so torpedo-like because they were shaped with giant fabric darts rather than the stretchy foam and spandex layers we're used to today. Spandex was, in Meg's words, a game changer. Yeah. And then there were pantyhose. We might make fun of them today, but in 1959, panty legs, as they were called, were revolutionary. Up to this point, stockings were held up by garter belts or girdles. A waist-to-toe sheer stretch fabric that bounced back let women ditch the rubber girdles completely. Because let's face it, whether it's latex or spandex, girdles kind of suck. Women just wanted to be, I think, a little bit more comfortable. I think with the comfortability of spandex added to tights and pantyhose was a huge thing uh, that women were now, you know, wanting to wear miniskirts to because tights are so comfortable. In the 1960s, miniskirts would never have caught on without tights because no one wants to bend over and have all your straps, snaps, bare flesh, and girdle bits on full view. Your butt might still hang out in tights, but at least it looked cohesive with your outfit. Spandex inserted itself into swimwear, underwear, and some athletic gear through the 1960s and 70s, but it really sprang into the scene in the late 1970s in the world of dance. There is just no way we can talk about spandex without mentioning disco. We all know John Travolta's iconic disco suit from Saturday Night Fever. High-waisted, tush-clinging, disco pants highlighted body parts and dance moves like never before. Then you had sexy halter tops and clingy jumpsuits, and all of that stuff screamed look at me while on the dance floor. Random aside, that Saturday Night Fever suit sold for $145,000 at Christie's in 1995. So 
Do not call spandex cheap. And spandex or its use was still evolving. What you think of spandex, like dance costumes, that stretchy swimwear stuff, aerobic, athletic wear, it's usually woven in with like um, an 80% nylon, 20% spandex. And that's kind of the standard for those, what you would think as spandex. But plenty of fabrics use just a tiny amount of spandex, maybe 1% to 2% for elasticity. In the 70s, disco pants, leisure suits, and pretty much anything Charlie's Angels wore used a whole lot of synthetic fabric with poly something in the name. But it was often spandex, again, maybe just that 2%, that let the clothing stretch enough to be comfortable and keep its shape. And that's still the case today for jeans, t-shirts, yoga pants. If you look at the labels on your clothing, I would bet that 25 to 30% have spandex in there somewhere, not including your underwear. As the 70s moved into the 80s, however, spandex went back to its stretchy roots and became the force behind two of the biggest cocaine-fueled trends of the 1980s, aerobics and hairbands. Get on your hands and knees. Weight evenly distributed on your hands. I feel like spandex wasn't so much in like street fashion and business fashion. It kind of really was, you know, the aerobic look was really kind of that 80s spandexy spandexy look right it was even like pre-mtv really like my mom i remember uh drinking tab and doing aerobics videos one of the best-selling videos of all times came out in 1982 jane fonda's workout video it sold over 17 million copies and inspired a whole new fashion trend of bodysuits, headbands, leg warmers. I couldn't find sales figures for these things during this time, but we're talking not millions, but billions of dollars. And in 1983, you had Flashdance, the movie about a welder who wanted to be a ballerina. It was such a bad movie, and its success was even more improbable than its storyline but it reflected the fitness craze and leotard and leg warmer obsession that Fonda had started. One other important thing about Flashdance is that the musical dance numbers in the movies were actually self-contained videos, pretty much what we were watching at home on the newly launched MTV. And this brings us full circle back to our brainstorming conversation, because MTV was behind the success of the hair bands. Glam metal groups like Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Cinderella, and Whitesnake made the leap from playing in L.A. clubs to playing in sold-out arenas, largely because of MTV. And that was in large part because they were so visual. They weren't called hairbands for nothing. They wore heavy makeup, ozone-depleting amounts of hairspray, and they became notorious for tight, shiny pants. And I just remember... Like watching the, I have never been so aware of the male crotch in my lifetime. It was very prominent. I don't know if, if it was puberty or just the visuals, but yeah, I, I just felt very uncomfortable. We originally wanted this episode to be more MTV fashion nostalgia, which is why we taped ourselves chatting. But the more I learned about spandex, the more intrigued I became. We might make fun of it, but it's in every piece of clothing I'm wearing while I record this. My jeans, socks, a thermal layer because my house is cold. Everything has that fiber in it to a greater or lesser degree. Except I am wearing a hand-knit wool hat, too. 
And spandex is not just the stuff of hairbands and aerobic videos and yoga pants. Going back to the 1960s, the moon launch would not have happened without spandex. It's the first layer of a spacesuit. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. See, astronauts have to wear cooling units, this network of water circulating tubes. And we can't get into why, but trust me, it's really necessary. And spandex is the only material that will keep that tubing in place, right next to their bodies at all times. Spandex is important in movie visuals as well. And for once, I'm not talking about crotches. Meg was the one who discovered this. Another thing that came up when um, I was looking around for other uses, and it just was amazing for even movie production and CGI, the green screen uh, motion suits, they can get so tight to the body, making it realistic for when the actors wear them. It's so conforming that they can, you know, later in, in editing, really get the movement. Yeah, Gollum in Lord of the Rings was only made possible by a spandex suit with a bunch of LEDs on it. There's kind of a funny story about Meg in this episode, and that was the third surprise. See, once my producer and I decided we wanted to focus on spandex, that's when we reached out to Meg. And as I said, she's a colleague and a designer and has her own podcast about sewing. So she seemed like a really good person to tap for information. What we didn't know at the time was that Meg's first fashion collection was 100% spandex. So going through fashion school, at the end of it, the third year is you design, you produce, uh, and then we have a fashion show of a five-piece cohesive collection. And um, I just wanted to create something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't know I would have the opportunity to in real life because... I mean, I, I was kind of going with the more showpiece sort of collection because it was school and it was fun. And I just, when else would I make a five-piece spandex collection? She even went on to create and sell a line of spandex clothing, Megan's Leggings, which I so wish we could show you. You can see her collection in our show notes page, however, and it's great. So there you have it. We, Fiber Nation listeners, might think of ourselves as fiber-loving, wool-worshipping, natural-stuff-only kind of people— but I think most of us would be deceiving ourselves. Lycra, spandex, elastine, whatever you want to call it, has woven itself into our daily lives in so many ways. Lycra likes to use the tagline, it's what's inside that matters most. And in terms of clothing fit and comfort, they're not necessarily wrong. So let's take a minute and take a material we love to make fun of and acknowledge its importance. Thank you for listening to Fiber Nation. If you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Your reviews help other people find us. Fiber Nation is produced by me, Allison Korleski. Our co-producer and audio engineer is Daisha Clay. Fiber Nation is part of Interweave and Golden Peak Media, and our executive podcast producer is Jared Mayer. I was I was hoping there was like a much darker answer to that or something. <laughs> Come on, it's Fiber Nation. We need we need darkness in here somewhere. I don't know what you're trying to get at. <laughs> <laughs>